Um, a few weeks ago, the Explorers had a faith day at their stadium. Basically what they did is they made some tickets, uh, discounted tickets available to some of the churches in the area. Um, we sent out an email and there was a few families that went. Uh, Wanda and I went and it was, it, was, it was a hot day. It was not the most pleasant of days to go, but we went. Um, the game actually went into extra innings, but that's another story. Um, but what made it kind of enjoyable is not only were we sitting with other people from Central, but behind us, there were two gentlemen. Um, I'm guessing, I'll, I'll say it, that they were old-timers. But the reason I say that is because Explore Baseball was their pastime. They would sit up there and they knew all the players. They knew their numbers. They knew their batting averages. When they showed the batting averages up on the screen out in the field, they knew if they were right or not. And there were a couple that weren't. You know, those types that knew everything and they could tell you anything you wanted to know about explorers and the team. It was kind of fun to listen to them go back and forth. They would argue a little bit here and there about this person or that person or what he did. And so, that, you know, having that in the background kind of was fun. But halfway through the game, there was a play. Relatively simple play. There was a runner on first. The batter hit it to the first baseman, so the runner took off to second. First baseman scooped it up, went over, touched first base, turned and threw it to the shortstop who was covering second base. While the runner decided to stop and run back to first base, the shortstop caught the ball and threw it back to the first baseman. The first baseman caught it, tagged the runner before he got back to first base. Double play, no problem except the fact that these two gentlemen missed something. They saw the whole thing, but it didn't make sense to them. They were like, okay, why did the runner run back to first? That's kind of silly. You can't do that. Why didn't the shortstop just touch second base? That would have been out. It would have... Well, they missed something. They missed. They didn't see the full picture. Now... A little background. My dad played baseball through the city leagues. He played through high school in the city leagues. He even played in the, in the Air Force. Then when, when my brothers got old enough, they played baseball. I played baseball. My dad was coach. My brothers were umpires. Even after we finished baseball, um, all of us played many years of both city and church league softball. Needless to say, we are well-versed in the rules of baseball. And hearing those guys go back and forth about what should have happened and what, I, I, was, I was just about ready to jump out of my seat and turn around and give them a le baseball lesson. Thankfully, my wife was there, and she tapped me on the shoulder and said, let it go, let it go, just don't, like, okay. But what did those guys miss? I don't know if they didn't know the rule or they didn't apply it correctly, but 
there's a rule that if the force play is off, which happened when the first baseman touched the first base, the runner doesn't have to run to second. He can go back to first. He just has to get to a base. And so he thought it was better to come back to first. It didn't work out that way. But he thought he'd try something else and make them throw the ball again. So touching second base wouldn't have done any good because there wasn't a force play. But the idea is those gentlemen missed something. And so we both saw the same play. We both saw what happened on the field. But for those who knew that piece, it made sense. And they could explain it. I could tell you exactly what happened, why it happened, what the rules are. But they didn't quite get it because they were missing a piece. They didn't focus on the right thing. Now, before Pastor left, he assigned me Psalm 78. And Psalm 78 talks about the missing piece that Israel had. They knew all those stories, but they were missing something. And we're going to get into that. But before we get into that, I just want, just want you to be prepared. Um, Mike spent 35 minutes on his sermon last week going over 14 verses. Um, there's 72 verses in Psalm 78. So he had a good pace. So if we go the same pace, um, well, just get comfortable. I told that to Sherry, who's in the nursery, and she said, nope, after an hour, we're bringing the kids in here. And so, all right. So what is the missing piece that Israel was missing? Let's look at Psalm 78, verse 1 through 4. Give ear, O my people, to my teachings. Incline your ear to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our Father have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell them to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. What is the missing piece that sometimes we miss and Israel definitely missed is that the Bible stories are about God and not about people. Now, I know you're thinking back, wow, that's profound this bible is but sometimes when we tell others when we tell stories especially to kids sometimes we miss that case in point does anybody remember the song only a boy named david okay well let's sing it okay only a boy named david only a little sling, only a boy named David, but he could play and sing. Only a boy named David, only a rippling brook, only a boy named David, but five little stones he took. 
And one little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round. And one little stone went in the sling, and the sling went round and round. And round and round and round and round and round and round and round. And one little stone went up in the air, and the giant came tumbling down. Good job. Give yourself a hand. All right. Okay. So from the words of this song, how did the giant come down? The stone. Who threw the stone? David. So who was the, who was the hero of the story? According to the song, it was David. But really, who was the, sto- who was the hero? God. Even if you just read the, the story in the Bible. Listen to David in front of Saul. He says, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took the lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And even what David said to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and with spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies to the hosts of the Philistines, this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. It's clear. David knew it. It's not about him. It's about God. But sometimes when we teach our, our stories, when we teach kids, or when we teach other people, the, the lessons that are in the Bible, we forget that the lessons are about God and not about people. I know a few things very well. I know sports. I know cooking fairly well. I know math and I know computers. Math and computers don't necessarily lead to good sermon illustrations. So I've always used sports, so I'll use a cooking illustration now. Some of you will go out to eat at a restaurant after service today. When you go, look to see what's on the table. Normally, what's on the table is maybe some cream or sugar for coffee. But most of the time, there's salt and pepper and ketchup. And depending on where you go, there might be some other things. What is the salt and pepper for? to season it just at the end, to just finish it off, to make it taste the way that you particularly want it. 
Sometimes people want a little more salt. Some people want a little bit more pepper. But just to tweak it just a little bit, right? But where does the big work happen on your meal? Back in the kitchen, with the oven, with the stove, which, with the grill, whatever they have. That's where they cook the meat. Well, the question I have is, when you tell stories about that are in the Bible, is God salt that you just put on the end just to finish it off, just to make sure that it tastes good to you? Or is God the oven, the one, the power behind the whole story, the reason we have the story in the first place? A few years ago, I went to Chicago on a business trip, and I went to a place called the Weber Grill. And I bet you can figure out everything that they made is made on big kettle Weber grills, okay? Why did they do that? They want to show the power and the versatility of that grill that you can make almost anything on that. But the whole idea is the grill was the main thing at that restaurant, When we tell stories, we need to make sure that God is the oven. God is the power behind the stories that we tell. There is no David and Goliath without God. And we need to make sure that when we're passing these on to the next generation, that God is the oven, the grill, the power, not just something that we dash on at the end. When we're telling others, a lot of the books in the Old Testament are called history books, and they're telling facts. But remember, when we're talking about the Bible, we need to tell his story, not just history. God is so vital. It it says it in, um, like we said, Psalm 78 It says in verse 4, We will not hide them from their children, but tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. The song that we sang, we will remember the works of your hand. We need to remember that it's God who does these things. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, It talks about, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. What should we teach them? About the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord. That's what we need to pass on. That's what we need to tell the next generation. And notice, in Psalm 78, it talks about telling the next generation, the coming generation. This isn't necessarily just to parents. Yes, parents have a responsibility to tell their children, but it's also for every believer that we need to pass this on to the next generation. God designed it 
so that we are one generation away from a godless society. That's plan A, that we tell others about him. And so we need to make sure that we are doing our part. The Israelites, they, they, some of them got it. Some of them said, okay, yeah, God's there. We need to make sure that we include him. But the way they used God was not appropriate. Psalm 78, 5 through 8 talks about God established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Israel knew that they needed to include God, but they weren't faithful to him. They decided, you know what? Okay, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll add him in at the end. We'll, when we get in trouble, we'll call on him goes on in verse 35. It says, They remembered that God was their rock, the Most High God, their Redeemer. But they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast towards him. They were not faithful to his covenant. What they saw is that Okay, yeah, we're going to include God, but you know what? We're going to do most of the stuff on our own. We're going to do it ourselves. Until we get in trouble, then we'll call on God. And then guess what? God will rescue us. And then we can do whatever we want again. And then when we get in trouble, we'll call on God and he will rescue us. That is their pattern that they saw with God. But that's not the pattern that God wanted. Obviously, God wanted us to stay faithful to him. As it said, there will be blessings in, the, in Deuteronomy 11 that was read earlier. That he will, be able, he will reign and he will um, let our crops be bountiful. Okay? God's going to bless us. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but he's going to bless us if we stay with him. But unfortunately... Like we see, the Israelites didn't do that. They rebelled. They said, okay, we're going we're gonna to be good as long as God gives us what we want. And then when we get it, then we're going to go off and do whatever we want. There's a difference between God's pattern that he wanted and their pattern that they saw. There's a, a quote. Oh, I'm sorry. Point number two is this. God is the creator and not a servant. As the uh, Israelites saw a pattern that they went with, but it's not the way that God wanted it to be. There's a quote by Tim Keller 
that says, but God created the universe with a word of his power, and even the galaxies are like dust to him. Is this the kind of person you ask into your life to be your personal assistant? Of course not. The stories are not about what we get out of it. The stories in the Bible are about God's glory. Later on in the chapter, you can see um, they didn't keep his command. They complained. God gave them what they wanted. They wanted even more than that. God gave them more even in excess, and they still weren't satisfied. And it just went on and on. The rest of the chapter talks about when they were in Egypt, what God did for them, what they did in the wilderness, what God did for them when they got into the promised land, and still the comment is made, they are a rebellious generation because they didn't get the full picture. They didn't see that it's all about God and not about them. It's about God's glory. So I'm sure you're asking, okay, yeah, we know that the Bible is about God and that we should love him with our whole heart. So what? Well, I have three three points that I want to say about why this should matter to us. The first point is all Scripture points to God. The reason that God gave us this is to teach us about Him. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. What are we supposed to teach? We're supposed to teach about God and who he is. It's not about what the people did. It's not about anything else. The Bible is about God and who he is and how wonderful he is to us. I had a theology professor. I've heard it from other places, but he specifically said this. Theology is the study of God. And if your theology, if you're studying theology and it's dry and it's boring, then you have a wrong theology. Because theology needs to lead us to worship him. When we learn about God, when we learn how wonderful he is, what else is our response but to worship him? The same thing is true about the Bible. When we read the Bible, it should bring us to worship him. Everything in this Bible is to tell us more about who he is. Now trust me, um, when you're reading through the seven chapters of Exodus that are painstakingly 
giving the details of how God wants the tabernacle built and all of the furniture, it's kind of hard to see where that is that God, what we should learn about God. When you're slogging through Leviticus, um, that's another one that's hard to read through. Or the genealogies that are in First, First Chronicles. But here's the thing. In Exodus, when you're reading through all the details about what God wanted from the furniture in the tabernacle, you get to see that God cares about the details of how he's worshipped. It matters to him on how he wanted to be worshipped. And it matters to him how he wants to be worshipped now. When you read through the genealogies, when you read through the genealogies, it tells us that he is a personal God and knows each and every one of us and knows where each one of us came from. That he can list them out. He cares about you so much. He knows your family line. That's part of who we are. You hear now, you know, there's, there's commercials for the DNA tests and you can get your, your um, background and your ancestry and all the different nationalities that you could be or whatever. Well, guess what? God doesn't need that DNA test. He knows. And those genealogies that you read through in the Bible prove that he knows about every single one of us. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that awesome? The God of the universe, the one who made the galaxies, knows you. Knows everything about you. That should lead us to worship. That should lead us to praise him and thank him for everything that he has done for us. So first, all scripture points to God. Second, our lives need to point to God. In Psalm 78, it says, in verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Tells us in James, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers also. When we're telling people about When we're, when we're, if God really matters to us, if we believe what this says, he says he's going to change us. When we're telling other people about who God is, we're asking them to change their lives. But think about it. If you haven't done those changes in your life, what right do you have to have somebody else make changes in their life? We have to live the example ourselves.
if we're saying that God is so important, that God is everything in our life, have we made the sacrifices necessary to read the Bible every day? Have we made the sacrifices to pray every day other than just before meals? If we're asking other people that God matters, he's important in your life, but they don't see that he's been important enough to you to make those small changes, are they going to want to make those changes in their lives? Our lives are important. We need, to te- we need to show others that what we believe in affects us and that we're willing to make those hard changes, those difficult decisions. That we're willing to change and sacrifice some sleep. Sacrifice watching that TV show that you know isn't appropriate, but oh, it's okay. Are we willing to make those sacrifices so others can see that what the Bible says matters to you? The last thing, first, all Scripture points to God. Next, our lives need to point to God. But fam- finally, our words need to point to God. Now, there's a quote that is by that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi um, that's been beaten up quite a bit. It says, Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Now, I understand why it's there, and yes, there's a valid point, and remember... My point two was we need to live your life for God and have that point people to God. So I understand that. But there comes a point where living a life is not going to tell other people about who God is, what Jesus did for us, sin. All that stuff needs to be preached. All that stuff needs to be said spoken it says in Romans 10 how then will they call on him who they have whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching and how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news Not only in Psalm 78, but also in Deuteronomy 11 and Deuteronomy 6, it talks about we must tell the next generation. We must use our words. We must be deliberate. It's not enough to live a good life. If you live a good life, somebody will only get the part that they need to do the right things. There's more to it than that. There's more to the gospel than just living a good life. 
They're not going to know everybody has sinned. God made us perfect, but we decided that we were going to go against God. And so we rebelled and we sinned. It happened in the Garden of Eden and it happens each day with us. We walk away from God and say, God, I don't want your, I don't want your commandments. I don't want your rules. I want to do it myself. And that's called sin. And there's nothing we can do to get rid of the sin. And if we tell God, we don't want your rules, then God's basically going to tell us, okay, then you can spend eternity away from me. And there's nothing you can do about it. And he knew that, that it was outside of our power. So he sent Jesus to come down, a perfect person, no sin. He took our place and he died in our place on the cross to take away the punishment for sin. And if we believe in him and believe that what he did is right, and if we tell him we will follow him and obey his commands, then we will be able to spend eternity with him. That's the gospel. There's no way that people are going to get that if you just live your life. You need to be deliberate in telling people what the gospel is. This has been a very convicting part for me. I'm an introvert. I don't like to talk to people. It's not that I don't like to talk to people. It just drains me really a lot. But I'm not one that has done a lot of sharing. Not one that has gone up to people and told them about the gospel. And it's something that this, thankfully in my position at the church here, I get to tell kids about the gospel. I get to tell them the great news of what Jesus has done for us. But my question to you is, how often have you told somebody about the gospel of Christ? How often have you presented this to somebody to say, you know what? God loves you. He doesn't want you to, to be lost. The gospel is important. We need to make sure that we tell people that the scripture points people to God. Our lives need to point people to God. But also our words need to point people to God. As you look at all of these, we at Central have these core values. And as you look at it, this, this chapter tells us about these core values. This teaches about it. To love God is to know God, to know more about him. And to know more about him, we need to believe what the Bible says about him. That's where we learn where it is, who God is, what he's done for us. 
And once we know, we need to tell others, encourage others to follow Jesus. And obviously, we can only do that through prayer. You might think that these four core values are something that we threw together. They're four separate statements. But really, those four statements are at the heart of the life of a believer. All four of them work together. They are intertwined. And that's what we want to do here at Central, is to have people grow people to be able to do all of these things. Psalm 78 is a call to us to say, you know what? Let's get back to the Bible. Let's get back to knowing God. Let's get back to the basics. These are pretty basic. Love God. Trust the Bible. God answers prayer. And we want others to follow him. If you have not had the chance to accept Christ, to follow him, I ask that you would find Pastor Paul, myself, one of the elders. We would love to talk to you about what it means to know Christ and to follow after him. That's what Central is all about. is to get back to knowing who God is and sharing him. Let's pray. Worship team, if you want to come up. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. That you love us and that you have given us this gift of, your, of the Bible to tell us who you are. so that we can worship you. Lord, help us so that we can praise you and worship you and tell others about how great you are. In your name we pray. Amen.